podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and, that, uh, and, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what, he sa- or what was said. Verse 35 And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a people desperately in need of your grace, desperately in need of your kindness, but the good news is that you have come, that you have come to us in our brokenness, in our sin, and that you have um, loved us, that you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would see the beauty of your free grace. We would see that salvation comes through faith in you alone. And then when we um, see all these things, that you are glorified. So, Lord, we love you. We pray that you would um, be glorified in our hearts today as we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and take your seat. My name is Andrew. I'm the youth minister here at Redeemer Christian Church. And I, I say this every time I teach, but I want to do it every time I teach, I want to say thank you to our church. This is a church that loves the preaching of God's word. We value God's word highly, and we think that when we teach God's word that it is an important thing to get to do, and so I want to thank the leaders of our church by giving me and Aaron opportunities to get to learn how to um, work at this craft and hone the skill of preaching the word of God, but mostly I want to thank you as a congregation for your kindness and your patience and your encouragement to me as I grow as a teacher. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to lead us as we open God's word today. This morning we come across a pretty familiar story, maybe for some of us. It's a story of a blind beggar who is healed by Jesus miraculously. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I wanted to kind of do a dive into what it means to be blind. What does a blind person experience? This is something that I cannot understand or even fathom. And so I wanted to understand a little bit more about that experience. And in my kind of deep dive into that, I found this fascinating interaction between Helen Keller and a reporter. Now, this interaction is fascinating for two reasons. The first reason is that the question is a horrible question. And the second reason is, is that the response is really eye-opening for us. 
The question that this reporter asks Helen Keller is, Helen, isn't it terrible being blind? Right? This is a shocking and horrible question on its face. You can gasp if you you desire to. And here's the good news is that if you're really fretting over the state of uh, reporting in America today, a hundred years ago, it was bad as well. So we're all on the same playing field. But here's, that's the the hard question that he asks. Hey, Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? But the good news is that Helen Keller gives him a fascinating answer that is really helpful for us. Here's what her response is to the question of, isn't it terrible to be blind? She says, it is better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing at all. It's better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing at all. See, here's what Helen Keller is astutely saying to you and I. She's saying it's entirely possible to have the gift of sight and to completely miss what is most important. It's entirely possible to have giftings and abilities and blessings and to completely miss what is most important in this life. But on the other side of the coin, it is entirely possible to be blind and to see what is most important. And that is what we, exactly what we see today in our text. We see people who are with Jesus all the time, people who follow him, people who are his best friend, completely miss the most important thing about Jesus. Meanwhile, we have a beggar who can see nothing. And he finds salvation because he truly sees what is most important. He sees the most important thing about Jesus that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so today I want to split our text up into three different sections. The first one is that salvation is by grace alone. The second is that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. And lastly, salvation is for God's glory alone. So salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. Point number one is that salvation is by grace alone. If you would, look with me at Luke chapter 18, verse 35. It says, as he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So this blind beggar who we find out in Mark chapter 10, his name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a helpless and a hopeless man. He is blind, meaning that his life is lived in complete darkness. Bartimaeus is a beggar. He is poor and needy, no doubt because he's unable to work for a living and to provide for himself. Because of Bartimaeus's blindness and because of his begging, he is an outcast from society. He is probably seen as an annoyance by most people, but to the religious people in his town, he's seen as unclean. He's seen as separated from God and his people. See, Bartimaeus's blindness has sentenced him to a lifetime of loneliness in a prison of darkness. But today, Jesus has come to Bartimaeus. Now, something similar happened in Amarillo not too long ago. If you're familiar with the show Stranger Things, one of the best characters in Stranger Things, Steve Harrington, was in Amarillo. I saw some pictures on Instagram. He was at United Market Street on Georgia buying eggs. I don't know why, but... I was at that Market Street the next day because that's where me and my wife go grocery shopping. And we were in line, we were checking out, and the guy was taking our groceries out to the car. And I was like, hey man, were you here when Steve Harrington was here? And he was like, yes, I was here, but I was on break, so I totally missed it. And I was like, man, that stinks. Like, do you know why he was here? And the guy was like, yeah, he was here for eggs. And I was like, dude, no, like, why is he in Amarillo? Like, why is this actor on the biggest show in America in Amarillo, Texas? What is he doing here? And the guy's like, I don't know. 
And me and a 16-year-old kid stood off and just stared off into the, into the, you know, the sky in awestruck wonder, wondering why this Hollywood actor would come to Amarillo, all the while my wife is like staring at us like, are you going like, to help me with our son or like load the groceries, do anything helpful, right? Like, but the point is, is that it's hard for us to imagine why a famous actor from a really famous show would be in Amarillo, Texas, right? How much more difficult is it for us to imagine God coming to our town? That's what happens to Bartimaeus, right? God has come down. Jesus has come from his throne room in heaven, and he was born as a human. On this day, he is walking into Bartimaeus' hometown. He is walking down the road where Bartimaeus begs. Jesus comes directly into Bartimaeus' suffering, directly into into his affliction, directly into his pain and darkness. See, when Bartimaeus would not and could not go to God, God came to him. That is kindness. That is the grace of God. And while the world would rather forget that Bartimaeus exists, God, who created the world, came to him. And this is the grace of God on display for us to see. It is the undeserved favor of God lavished on a blind beggar. And now we see two responses to God's grace going out. We see two human responses to God's grace going out here in this text. First, we see Bartimaeus' response. Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 38. It says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice how Bartimaeus refers to Jesus, right? As Jesus is walking by with his crowd, Bartimaeus says, hey, what's going on here? And someone says, Jesus of Nazareth is here, right? But When Bartimaeus talks to Jesus, he does not call him Jesus of Nazareth. He calls him Jesus, son of David. This is important that we note this. This is the only time that we see the term son of David ever used in the book of Luke. Jesus even tells his disciples exactly why he came to the world in uh, verses 31 through 34. He tells them that he would be delivered over to the Gentiles, that he would be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, that he would be beaten He would die. He would rise three days later in accordance with the Old Testament prophecy. See, Jesus is telling them why he came. He came into this world to suffer and then to die. Or as 1 Corinthians puts it, he he says that Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. But his closest friends don't understand. They don't see, right? But this blind beggar, he sees directly into who Jesus is. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior that the Old Testament spoke of and promised. He is the spotless lamb who would take away the sins of the world. See, the long-awaited Messiah had come, and no one else sees it except for Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And Bartimaeus addresses Jesus as the Messiah, and he cries out, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. The most famous hymn of all time is Amazing Grace, right? And it's, it's a famous, and, and it's, it's aptly named because amazing, or grace is always amazing. The great hymn says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, God's grace is always amazing because it saves wretches. It causes the lost to be found. It causes the blind to see. 
See, Bartimaeus is certainly a story of a blind man who is miraculously healed, but it's so much more. It is this metaphor that shows us who we are before God, that Bartimaeus is this physical representation of each of our spiritual state. We, much like Bartimaeus, we are blind. We are beggars. We are helpless and hopeless. Each of us is lost in the darkness of sin, blind to the things of God. And we would be sentenced to a life in a prison of darkness if Jesus, in his grace and kindness, had not come to you. Ephesians chapter 2 echoes this thought. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, man in his sin is lost in darkness and blind to the things of God. And by nature, we are deserving of God's wrath. By nature, we are deserving of God's holy hostility against evil. But God, God's grace can be summed up in these two words, but God, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, right? You were following the course of this world, but God, carrying out the desires of your body and mind, but God, blind, living in darkness, but God is rich in mercy and he loves you. So he came as a man. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law and then he died on a cross, paying the penalty for those who have disobeyed God's law. So we cry out, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. That is our response to the grace of God in our lives. There is another response to God's grace that we see here in this passage. Look with me at Luke chapter 18, verse 38. Bartimaeus says, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. To the people walking with Jesus, listening to him, listening to the teachings of this new popular rabbi. And while they are hearing his teachings, they do not understand, or as Helen Keller says, they have two eyes, but they cannot see anything. They turn and they rebuke this blind beggar who is crying out for mercy. They rebuke, rebuke this blind beggar who actually does see Jesus correctly, and they demand that he be silent. In the eyes of the people around Jesus, Bartimaeus is separated from God. And because he is separated from God, he is not worthy of Jesus' time or his consideration. We, as the people of God, can never make this connection. Being lost and separated from God does not disqualify you from God's grace. It is a prerequisite to God's grace. You must be lost and separated from God to experience his grace. The idea of grace as a free gift is amazing, but it is scandalous. It scandalizes our minds. It is too good to be true that God would look on sinners and send his only son, Jesus, into the world because he loves them. It is too good to be true that he would, he would in love, seek out the broken and the lost and the sinful and save them at great cost to himself. But the grace of God is exactly for those who do not deserve it. That's the nature of grace. That's the fundamental nature of grace that is for those who do not deserve it. 
I think sadly, because there is a fundamental misunderstanding of grace, there is this tendency in the hearts of man, myself included, to make barriers to God's grace. To form obstacles through rules and through traditions and through certain things that would keep people from experiencing the grace of God by demanding they do or be certain things that God in his Bible has not demanded that they be. And I think that this is true in churches and I think that this is true in Amarillo, Texas, right? We have to be aware. We have to be careful. We have to be uh, watchful about what our hearts want to do to the free grace of God by making it cost something. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, um, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, she says that we may never know the treacherous journey that people have taken to land in the pew next to us. You may never know the treacherous journey that someone has taken to sit in the pew next to us. See, we all know that life is treacherous. Life in this world is treacherous. There are people who are in our schools and in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, on our teams, in the pew with us, in our community groups, maybe people in our family who are in pain. They feel broken. They feel forgotten, misunderstood, lost, ostracized. But the church is equipped to offer what people in a broken world desperately need and what God freely offers, which is the grace of God. We are the people that can do that. Point number two is that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. Look with me at Luke chapter 18, verse 39. Those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But Bartimaeus cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. See, Bartimaeus, he continues to cry out for the Messiah to have mercy on him. And in this crowded, busy street with all this commotion and all this chaos, Jesus stops and hears him. This is a, a look, a window into the heart of who Jesus is, a window into his kindness and mercy that he asks for Bartimaeus to be brought to him. See, when we cry out to Jesus for mercy, he hears you. He always hears you. And Mark chapter 10, verse 50 tells us that Bartimaeus, when Jesus asked him to come to him, it says that he, he threw off his cloak and that he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What a, what a picture, right? That the God of the universe is standing across from a blind man and they're standing face to face and Jesus asks this blind man who lives in darkness, what do you want me to do for you? He asks this man who has nothing, a man who was begging just seconds earlier, who brings nothing to the table, what do you want? What do you want? And Bartimaeus says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Look at verse 42. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now this is a, a dense phrase. This is packed with so much meaning. First of all, in the Greek, when Jesus, the, Jesus doesn't say, hey, recover your sight. In the Greek, Jesus says, see, it's a command. It's an imperative command. He says, hey, have vision. Take sight. See, right? He commands him to see, and he does. By the mouth of Jesus, this blind man opens his eyes for the first time, and he lays eyes on Jesus, the Savior. A man who lived in darkness now sees Jesus, the light of the world, standing right across from him. 
And then that phrase continues on where it says, your faith has made you well. The Greek really just says very simply, your faith has saved you. The faith of you has saved you. What are we to make of this? The faith of you has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Here's what we should make of this. This is the essence of faith. Faith is a disposition of the weak. That we come before Jesus in our weakness and we lean into his strength. That we come before Jesus in our sin and we lean fully on his righteousness. That we come before Jesus in our insufficiency and we lean on his sufficiency. But I want us to be clear. What he is not saying, he's not saying that faith saves you, that belief saves you. What he is saying is that Jesus saves it's Jesus that commands him to see. It's Jesus that commands his eyes to be opened for the first time and to work and to be able to see and process the world around him. What he is saying is that faith is the conduit. It is the channel through which salvation comes into Bartimaeus' life. It is the avenue through which the, the salvation of God pours into this poor man, Bartimaeus' life, and transforms and changes him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that any man may boast. See, faith is when in our weakness we lean into Jesus' strength. Faith is in our unworthiness, we lean into Jesus' supreme worth. Faith is when we, in our insufficiency, lean into Jesus' sufficiency and what he accomplished as he died on the cross for our sin. And it is through this weakness and reliance on Jesus that salvation comes to us. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, he says, The gospel is not an encouragement to self-effort. The gospel is not an encouragement to what you can do or what you have done. It is an announcement of what God has done to save us. He continues on and says, You are a Christian entirely because of the grace of God. This humbling reality and truth ought to stir our hearts to know that it is the work of God in us that makes us new creation. That we, much like Bartimaeus, bring nothing to the table, but God sees fit to save us and change us all the same. Point number three is that salvation is for God's glory alone. Look at Luke 18, verse 43. It says, And immediately Bartimaeus recovered his sight, and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. See, verse 43 tells us that Bartimaeus recovered his sight and that he followed Jesus, right? That they probably could have left that out. If, this, if Jesus he, uh, gives you your sight, you're probably going to follow that guy, right? But they leave it in here nonetheless because I think that they're trying to show us something incredible. See, to Bartimaeus, God's grace is not something that is common. It is something that truly is amazing, that he was blind, and the first thing that he truly saw was Jesus, the healer, the savior, his friend, right? That's the first thing he opens his eyes to. And I think the reason that they leave all this stuff in is because Bartimaeus is, is evidence of the salvation of God. Bartimaeus was a broken, blind beggar, but God, in his mercy, came to him on this day. Bartimaeus is evidence that salvation is free to those who are lost in a prison of darkness. <clears throat> and in their weakness, they can place their faith on his strength for salvation and healing. 
And as a Christian, we are evidence of this transformation as well. If you are a Christian, you are evidence of God's salvation and what he is able to do in the lives of broken, lost, sinful people. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you are a Christian, you are his workmanship. He has done something in you. He works, and you are the product, the result. You are the workmanship. He is the artisan, and you are the art. And the art of salvation glorifies God. In verse 43, the people see God's workmanship on display in Bartimaeus. In Bartimaeus, this man who is transformed from a blind beggar into a follower of Jesus who can see. They see the gospel on display, and they give praise to God. They praise the great artist and architect of salvation, God. See, when God saves us, he gets the glory in the praise because he has done the work. Bartimaeus' story ends there, but many theologians and historians believe that this blind beggar is named in the book of Mark because Bartimaeus is no doubt a member of the original 120 people that would follow Jesus that he is instrumental in the spread of the gospel, and he is instrumental in the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. See, in the story of Bartimaeus, in this small moment, we see a blind beggar experience the free gift of God's grace. And God's grace is so powerful that it ripples throughout the world as the gospel spreads from these original 120 followers to the rest of the known world, even today in 2020 Amarillo, Texas. The grace of God is so powerful that when given freely, it has the ability to change our hearts and to change our lives, to change our families, to change our schools and our neighborhoods and our cities. And no one should know the grace of God more deeply than the people of God, than the people who have experienced the grace of God. So, Redeemer Christian Church. Let us be a people who bring the grace of God freely into our world, just as it was brought freely into our own lives. As we call people to faith in the Messiah Jesus, not for our own glory, not for the glory of Redeemer Christian Church, but for the glory of God alone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are grateful that we have been recipients of your grace, that we did nothing to earn it, but Lord, you came in. You came into our lives. You called us to you. You opened our eyes. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you that, that it is not of our work, but it is your work. And that since it is your work, we can trust that it will be finished, that it is good enough, and that it will um, provide for us on that day. Lord, all these things we um, think on and we worship because you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration because what you have done in our, our hearts and what you can do in the hearts of others. So, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information about Redeemer, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com.